accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the two-parter called In Purgatory Shadow and By Inferno's Light. They are episodes 14 and 15 of the fifth season, aired on February 10th and February 17th, I believe. Yes, they did. First one written by Iris Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by Gabriel Beaumont. Second one written by Iris Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, and directed by Les Landau. And In Purgatory Shadow... Garrick and Worf investigate a message upon which uh, which suggests that Cardassian spymaster Anabrin Tain is still alive. Upon their arrival, not only do they find Tain, but also a General Martok and someone they did not expect. By Inferno's light, the crew tries to defend the Alpha Quadrant from the invading Dominion fleet. Worf, Garrick, and other prisoners prepare to escape from the Dominion internment camp. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? So, did a changeling deliver Keiko's baby? We can talk about that. That's a that's a very strong possibility that that's what happened. Yeah. Does that? That's what I've just been thinking about the whole time. <laughs> There's um, we if you go by the fact that Bashir is just wearing an old style uniform, it's been a few episodes yeah. that we've whether we've seen Bashir, and unless he sleeps in his old uniform as like a form of pajamas, uh, which they don't really <laughs> discount that he does do, that is something you could draw a conclusion from. Does that? Do you think that's a? Is it better or worse if it's been Bashir? Uh, changeling Bashir for a couple episodes, or would you rather have not that been the case? No, I like that. I mean, I don't know if they, I don't know if it's if it was thought out so far in advance that you could actually go back and see him acting differently in those episodes. But I, I like the idea. It's generally not. There's a lot of fan debate about when Bashir is taken and what episodes are actually uh, changeling Bashir and which ones aren't. I like to think that it's all changeling Bashir, just because it adds a yeah. little bit of something to those episodes. Uh, yeah, but we're going to talk about the double parter. It's a big double parter. Um, it's one that everyone has been kind of waiting for. A lot happens. We're going to have to break it down. I'm going to take a break. Going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back and break down by Inferno's Light and In Purgatory Shadow. You might ask, should we fear joining the Dominion? And I answer you, not in the least. We should embrace the opportunity. The Dominion recognizes us for what we are the true leaders of the Alpha Quadrant. And now that we are joined together, equal partners in all endeavors, the only people with anything to fear will be our enemies. My oldest son's birthday is in five days. To him and to Cardassians everywhere, I make the following pledge. By the time his birthday dawns, there will not be a single Klingon alive inside Cardassian territory or a single Maquis colony left within our borders. Cardassia will be made whole. All that we have lost will be ours again, and anyone who stands in our way will be destroyed. This I vow with my life's blood, for my son, for all our sons. Well, it's another doubleheader episode, Clay, and as you've probably mm. figured out by now, DS9 tends to like to do very big story stuff with their two-parters. The last one that didn't do that, I think, was uh, past pro, not past prologue, the one where they, uh, past tense, the one where Cisco goes back in time and pretends to be that uh, freedom fighter from 
the uh, the terrible depression on Earth or whatever. Mm. That was not a very good episode. Uh, generally, after that, what they do is they use their double headers to really change the story or push the story in some other direction. And I think that this one is basically almost a continuation of the third season double part, two-parter, which is one where they um, Garrick and Odo go into the Gamma Quadrant and the Cardassian and Romulan fleet get annihilated by the Dominion. This is pretty much a straight callback to that because we meet Tane again. We go back and see Tane. Um, I like this episode, these episodes. I think what's most remarkable about them is they do a lot of story ending. They end a lot of stories in these two mm. episodes, and yeah, they kickstart. Uh, they, what they do is they're going to be kickstarting basically the storylines that carry the series through the rest of the seven seasons. So this is almost like the final turning point for the show. Um, mm-hmm. A lot comes after it, but I think that it's most impressive for what it ends. It ends the Tain storyline. They kill off Tain. It ends the Klingon War and Cardassian War storyline. It ends the Kitamar Accords not happening thing where the Klingons get back together with the Federation. And um, there's a few other things that you could probably consider it actually ending. It ends the um, it ends Dukat as a good guy, kind of, if he ever was a good guy. Um, but yeah, what did you what did you think of uh, in, in, Purg- uh, in Purgatory Shadow and by Inferno's Light? And then we'll get into it. Um, yeah, I got the same impression that you did about the the wrapping up of the stories. I feel like the last few episodes, um, they've really been wrapping up a lot of storylines. Uh, it, it seems like they needed to clear the board for whatever's coming next. Um, you know, uh, turning Odo back into a changeling, uh, anything with the baby and Kira... All that stuff, but basically, right, we got to get, we got to finish this so we can move on to uh, to the to the next thing, which you know I think is smart. I think it's nice to have those things have ends to them, instead of them just be dangling plot threads that never end up paying off or whatever. Um, you could argue that some of them might be more interesting if continued into the uh, Dominion War. Like, I think you could argue that Odo being a human during this upcoming war could be interesting but maybe it's too too much of a headache at this point um and they need all hands on deck to to tell this one big story yeah. uh i thought it was really good i no odo in these episodes interestingly he's in, he's in the first yeah. one very briefly but he's not at yeah. all in the second part i thought it was really good um i think these two episodes are really emblematic of how this show differs for people who have watched it all the way through and people who might just be dipping in to see what's going on. Like if I had dipped in just to watch this two part or not watching anything else, I don't think I would have enjoyed this Um, because what they do really well, especially in the first part um, is they, they really dip into the skills that they've developed with these, as far as writing scenes between these characters, because this, for the first half of this is, and arguably the second half, there, there's not a ton happening. No, it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, uh, Riker turning towards the camera and, and say, yelling fire after John Luke's been turned into a Borg. It's yeah. not that stuff. Well, they have, they, they, have the, they have the Jem'Hadar fleet fly through the wormhole, which they've done. They do. It that feels was, like they've yeah. done that about seven times at this point yes. on the series. Yeah. yeah. It was good, but it didn't. It didn't quite have that same same punch. But, uh, um, but what they do that they've gotten very good at is small scenes with characters 
having them talk about character stuff and having it be like really satisfying. And they do that quite a bit in the first half. There's a lot of two person quick scenes where they just, you know, the, the, the actors are so good that these characters and the writers are so good at writing these characters at this point that you can just do a quick scene with, uh, uh, Bashir and Garrick, even though Bashir was a, a changeling or, uh, the Worf and Dax scene is really nice. Yep. Dukat and Kira um, is one of my favorites. Yeah, Dukat and Kira, the Garrick and uh, the girl, whose name I forget. Is yep. it Zial? Zial, yeah, something like that. Zial? Yeah. Um, you know, you get a lot out of that stuff uh, because you're invested in the characters. And the actual uh, action of these two episodes is fairly laid back. I mean, there's a... Uh, there's a lot going on outside, but as far as what's actually happening on screen, it's not like, you know, fireworks are going off. So uh, to be able to do a two-parter that feels really satisfying, but not like they broke the bank on it is is pretty uh, impressive. It's funny because we're, um, we're now watching this with something like Discovery, and I will just bring up Discovery ever so briefly mm-hmm. as a point of comparison. Um, I think that the wor- weakest part of these... DS9 episodes, this two-parter, is actually the action sequences, and I think yeah. that the ending is actually pretty weak, uh, where they stop, oh, they the, stop the changeling. Terrible. Yeah, they stop yeah, the changeling from bad. blowing up the star. Um, I think that the what the show does that Discovery never really gives itself a chance to is that it is pretty much everything that happens in these episodes is drawn from the character work that they do yep. between everybody. Mm-hmm. And there is action, but it's largely backgrounded. Um, a lot of it is sort of insinuated and they never really touch on it. Like the, the moments of, um, the Klingon and Romulan fleets join the Starfleet, uh, at mm-hmm. DS9 as they're preparing for the invasion. They don't really get into it. They don't do anything with it. You don't meet a lot of characters from those ships. It's just kind of like, this is a thing that's happening and we're going to have to deal with it. And mm-hmm. you don't see the Cardassian Jem'Hadar fight against the Klingons that causes the Klingons to retreat. You just kind of see the end result of it where the Klingons withdraw. And- mm-hmm. What I think that DS9, the episodes feel more substantial to them because everything is built off of what the characters are doing that goes into it. And as you're saying, we start with Purgatory Shadow, which is pretty much all character work all the way through. Garrick and Worf have a lot of talking to each other. Dukat makes his rounds sort of um, being very insidious with a lot of characters as he he knows Mm -hmm. what's about to happen. And he's sort of making his last um, face-to-face contact with a lot of people is what it feels like. I liked... I liked his payoff a lot, like the the way that he was acting with everybody. Um, to see it pay off as him having betrayed everybody and gone over to the to the Dominion, I thought that was great. Like it just it made everything he did before, which seemed like him being oddly. Uh, at first, I was watching his stuff, thinking like, "Oh, he seems like he's doing this for the sake of doing this stuff, because that's the position he's got to be in." And oh, he hates Garrick and blah blah blah. But when it turns out that he switched sides, it's like, oh, that's why he wants his daughter to go to Cardassia so badly. Yeah. yeah. I thought that stuff was was great. I liked that a lot. We can start with um, Dukat and Cardassia because I think that on a like nuts and bolts level, I think that one of my favorite things about this episode is what they do with Dukat and what they do with Cardassia, which um, the series has largely been improvised. Uh, we heard back in the Rapture episode, Cisco has a premonition of locusts coming through the wormhole and going to Cardassia, which is what happens mm-hmm. here. And I think that they they, would, they didn't really intend for this to happen because they never really, on this show, they never really planned all that far ahead. But I think that what happens to Cardassia here is like almost pitch perfect for what should happen to them. It's a very mm-hmm. logical outcome of 
They've had these Maquis people sort of being a thorn in their sides. They've been invaded by the Klingons. They're obviously compromised as like a infrastructure and that, you know, the people are very unhappy. Their government has collapsed. They are were under military dictatorship. Things don't seem to be going well on Cardassia. They have been invaded by the Klingons. As I said, they're losing this war. They don't have their own space. And Dukat's Dukat's characterization is interesting because you, I do get the sense that he actually is doing this on a sense to remake Cardassia great again. Like he's trying mm-hmm. to, he thinks that mm-hmm. this is the only way that he can cause Cardassia to be another power in the Alpha Quadrant. And he's willing to join the Dominion, which seems to be kind of a brash move at this point, but it is the only logical outcome they have. And I think it also works in the form of the Dominion War because it, the Dominion needed a foothold in the Alpha Quadrant to be a threat to them. And mm. this kind of gives it to them. They now have a territory that they can work out of, and they're, they're safe there on the Cardassian space. They are now aligned with Cardassia, and they're not officially at war with the Federation. So the Federation can't really have anything to say about warships coming through the wormhole into Cardassian space. But I liked, um, I think the Ducat stuff... His arc, the bunch of conversations he has with Cisco are really good. I think that his final uh, tour of taunting people is really excellent. I love his scene with Kira. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there was a time when Bajorans were very took Cardassian threats very seriously, and I think that it's just I, a Card- the, the, I'll finish it with just the Cardassian. Yeah, yeah. The Cardassian planet just the way that they've arced, and we've mentioned before, the uh, DS Nine does a better job of like arcing the cultures against each other than the other Star Trek shows tend to do. They've done a good mm. job with where Cardassia stands right now. You can see why they would join the Dominion and do this. Yeah, that the scene with Kira I thought was really interesting because before you find out that you know that he's turned on everybody, it actually seemed like a scene between two divorced parents almost, mm. um, where like Kira was the 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 parent who was letting their kid sort of explore, go out on weekends you know, her, late at night. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and uh, Ducat was very much the more conservative, strict parent, and they were having that sort of like back and forth. Uh, although most of the time, I don't remember Kramer versus Kramer having a scene where uh, he threatens to kill her and then <laughs> uh, joins up with a different uh, invading army. But um, but yeah, I I, I like that stuff, and I I I would have probably liked a little more from Zial's end at the end there when she has the scene with Kira. Uh, she's more concerned with Garrick than really her her father. Yeah. Um I don't know. I I I I'd be I'm going to be interested to see does she stick around does she come back played yeah. by she's, somebody else? She she's in a few few episodes going forward. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd be interested to see what happens with her moving forward. Um She I mean she doesn't really have a super close relationship with her father though because she was been separated yeah. for so long and the, the, when they when he found her she ended up just living on the station anyway. So Garrick seems to be Garrick as an outcast fits her as an outcast because she's half Bajoran more than Guldicott does, I think, as a relationship. That's true. Yeah. And I mean she's already she's already proven that she's not going to pick the beliefs of her father over her own beliefs. So, right. you know, I guess it's not I guess it's not really that needed for any sort of big emotional scene or anything. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I I thought the the Ducat stuff was great. I think it made perfect sense that he would, you know, on the DL try to make a deal with those guys. And then to go on Cardassian television and say that he believes the Dominion over his own intelligence agency just works works, works perfectly. <laughs> and the um, they don't go totally whole hog with him either because he has his final scene with Cisco. 
has him bragging about the statue that they're building for him. Mm-hmm. So it continues Ducat's um, only in it for himself nature. I, I just think they do a really good job of blending his motivations where I'm not really sure where you can draw the line. Like, I do believe that he's both in it for himself and for Cardassia at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not that he is obviously lying one way or the other. I, I believe both of his motivations, and I think that he holds them both at the same time. Yeah, that scene with Cisco, I, I didn't ex- explicitly think that he was talking about the statue in a way to uh, brag about his own accomplishment, accomplishments as much as to to lay into the fact that even Cardassia thinks he did the right thing. You know, it's not, I don't think, I think being obviously his entire thing with him has been trying to figure out what benefits himself, but also a way to get back into the uh, uh, the good graces of Cardassia. I think he managed to do both of those things. I, I, let me rephrase that. He wants he wants what's best for himself first, but he also wants what's best for Cardassia, like like truly does. Um, and what he did here is a way for him to do both of those things. Um, and it, I think, it could easily come off as him just trying to become a, 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 a totally self-centered, but I don't think that's the way he thinks about it at all. Because if you look at it from his perspective, it is the right move for Cardassia because he sees the Dominion and the Jem'Hadar as this dis- absolutely destructive force. So obviously siding with them is the best way to avoid being destroyed by them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Cardassia has been so uh, castrated anyway um, that this instantly brings their status up uh, among the in the galaxy and all you know whatever yeah yeah um so yeah i think it's i think it works both ways with him that's why i think it's it he continues to be great and that decision for him makes perfect sense yeah the only problem i have with the cardassia scenes is it's tough when they show those um <laughs> landscapes of cardassia when the Cardassians are watching his big screen tvs and there's like two people on the street yes. looking at it um i know it's budgetary and stuff but it always strikes me as very empty i do like the that is the very it fits into the uh, the big brothery aspect of Cardassia that like everything mm-hmm. is being uh, the propaganda is being spread on all the screens across the city and they all just kind of watch it. Uh, Have we ever gone to Cardassia? Like, has there ever been like an episode that was just on Cardassia? I don't think so. I can't, these are the no. I think these are the only scenes. Well, O'Brien might have been tried on Cardassia. He, there was an episode you didn't do where O'Brien gets tried by a Cardassian court, and that might be on Cardassia, but I'm not sure about it. I don't, I don't think we do a lot because there's always some colony that Cardassia has or something like that that they end up going to. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. so. We've we've never gone to like the government that had. Oh, the, with the um, maybe the one where we saw uh, Def, uh, Defiance, the one with the Tom Riker. I think Cisco mm-hmm. might go to Cardassia in that episode. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe. Speaking of uh, speaking of colonies, this show has a lot of prison camps in it. Mm-hmm. It seems like the default for 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 an off off station place to go when the uh, the main characters are under stress is some sort of prison <laughs> camp. <laughs> well, you're dealing with a lot of um, totalitarian regimes, I That's guess, true. who would have yeah. who would have a lot of prison camps and stuff. We can talk about the. Um, the prison camp stuff, if you want. This is kind of a Worf and Garrick thing. Um, mm-hmm. Garrick is going to start to be paired off with other characters along the line. They started him off with Bashir, and they've kind of branched him off into doing other things with other characters. Um, this is a Garrick and Worf episode, or two episodes, that I think pays off pretty well. 
Uh, it doesn't really hinge on their relationship in a lot of ways, but I think that what they do with them is pretty clever. Uh, and just yeah. the the contrast that they have in Purgatory, where um, Worf is the honor bound soldier, and he's paired off with the sort of duplicitous liar who will lie about mm-hmm. anything to him. Mm-hmm. And I like this. I like the way that Garrick turns it on him, where he says, "Like the only honorable thing to do is go and see if we can save these people." And Worf says, you don't know what that word means. And he says, no, but you do. And so Worf, Worf is forced yeah. to go along with him. And then it ends really, with the just their, um, it ends with the sort of reconciliation between them where they both do their job because they're both kind of, they both have this utmost faith in their responsibility is a way that I would say that they are kind of similar to each other. And mm-hmm. they have their final sort of nod scene where good job to each other after Worf has got the shit kicked out of him and Garrick managed to make the transporter work. Yeah, I, I I really like the the scene where uh, Garrick is asking him to sponsor him to get into Starfleet, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "You're lying," and he's like, "Well, I mean, yes, I don't want to go to Starfleet, but I mean, I have I haven't lied to anybody in a while, so I have to practice lying." <laughs> it's got to keep got to keep your tools <laughs> sharp. Yeah. yeah. Did uh, is this the first that we've learned that Abon Pan is is uh, Garrick's dad? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which what did you think of that? twist if you want to call it a twist it is, i don't know it was fine i guess i it, arguably unnecessary uh but i mean i guess it does explain why he would be so concerned with his uh rescue or life or whatever yeah. i don't know um i find the tain stuff to be a little bit it's like it's the pure motivation for the story but there's not really much there once yeah. you once you get into it, like it almost feels yeah, they kill like, them off pretty quick. Yeah, and it, 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 to me, it feels more like they wanted to just wrap up that story. Like they needed a reason to draw them into the Gamma Quadrant, and they also wanted to wrap up the story. So when you meet him, I guess they threw in the father thing just as kind of like, well, let's throw one little twist in here so it doesn't seem so paint by the numbers. Of like, you find him, he dies, and then that's the point of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. Tane. The the other sort of th- the other thing that I think about the double parter is that I think that by Inferno I think that uh, in Purgatory Shadow the first half is a be- is a stronger episode than Inferno's Light is the second half and I think that which is pretty standard yeah which is standard for their two parters and I think that the I think that this story actually probably could have been a three parter um, I feel mm. you could have fleshed out a few of the scenes and I think that Tane and Garrick would have been a good place to start there like i i don't know what you would really add but i would have built off of the relationship a little bit more if you're going to make him his father at least have some kind of scene about that they have the small one at the end before he dies but it ends up feeling pretty tertiary and unimportant in the the scheme of things yeah i think the one big change i might make to that story is Instead of having, I mean, I guess the Breen is kind of a nice swerve because you, you know, you keep, ex- I kept expecting him to turn on them at some point. Uh, but I might have keep uh, Taylor Dane around until um, the point where they have to get out and then have him sacrifice himself in some way to help uh, against the Jem'Hadar, you know? Yeah. Uh, that might be too. That might be too much because, I mean, then you got to deal with every scene has a, a dying man in the background somewhere and they get all the other Cardassians off there. Although I think you could probably cover that by just saying, like, uh, he's old, leave him here or whatever. Um, I, I, I would have actually thought 
it to me would feel more intense character if once the Cardassians had joined, he had abandoned Garrick there. Like if he had gone off with oh, the other yeah. Cardassians, that that feels a very yeah, would been good thing too. to me. Yeah, I think that probably would have been. Yeah, I, I, I think I I would have preferred that to happen instead of having him sacrifice himself or something like that. Yeah, that's or, too or heroic I, for him. I think. Yeah, th- them having this, especially since if you think about what Garrick's character arc is. Well, if you want to call it, yeah, I would call it a character arc where he's gone from the most untrustable person on the station into someone who has overcome his own, uh, what's the word, uh, claustrophobia and X, Y, and Z in order to help these people to get them out of there. And he's like the hero of the story, essentially. I think stripping that character, stripping Tane away from him would be a good motivator for him to complete his face turn. Yes. Um, Which I guess his death took, kind of does. It's, it's just not well, very I dramatic. Say, I mean, specifically stripping him away in a negative way. Oh, where if he's, if he's going after, if he's trying to find Tane for these personal reasons because it's his dad or whatever, and he blah, 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 blah. To have him in that situation where Tane then chooses Cardassia over Garrick still. Right. Uh, Garrick can make that decision to be like, all right, fine. That's not what I'm about anymore. Or you know what I mean? That yeah. kind of thing. Instead of having the death of this character give him some sort of like inner strength that he never really earned because we only just found out about it. Um, Do you think that's what the him, death of him actually even does? I don't, I don't, even, I don't even make that connection. That the, Well, his, I only say that because of that scene where he's inside the wall and he's like, Tane, I wish you were here and blah, blah, oh, blah, okay. you know, that kind sure. of thing. So he's he's like talking to him after he was dead and he's got some sort of spiritual connection to him, I guess. And uh, it's not, it, they don't hit you over the head with a ha- hammer with it. But um, yeah, I think that would have been nicer to have Tane turn on him again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they... I think they just desperately want to get rid of that character. Like they, they're they're sort of done yeah. with him at that point. And not that what we're talking about couldn't have happened, but I do feel that Tane needed to die a lot. Like he, mm-hmm. I think he just needs to be gone from Garrick's uh, purview to sort of move that character forward. And I, the father thing is whatever. It, it kind of it makes sense. I think that they do a good job by not having Tane's deathbed confession be like of course like i've made a huge mistake like you were the son that i had and all that stuff he he does a pretty backhanded thing of telling him the one day they spent together he was proud of him that day because he didn't give up which ties into garrick not giving up uh when he has to go back into the wall to fix the transporter thing so it it all works i just i never really i I feel like tane's character doesn't really have a motivation to exist outside of getting garrick into the gamma quadrant for this and he's kind of unimportant once that happens yeah i would agree yeah because he's gone so quickly that it, it, he may as well not even be there i mean Mar- um, martok turns out to be the more important of the persons that they run into out there besides bashir yeah. i guess you could say because uh, martok comes back and is actually now sort of involved with the station he's the klingon attache or whatever to the the mm-hmm. the uh, ds9 from the klingon empire by the end of it and i think that's good and i think that the i i think it's it's one of those things like if that episode if you had not been following the show Martok and Tane are kind of the characters. You're like, who the hell are these guys? Like, what what yeah. is going on? Yeah, and the show doesn't really um, hold your hand too much. It just kind of assumes that you've been watching and you know who these people are and why it's important that they've been in this prison camp for so long. Yeah, definitely. I think that goes to what I'm talking about, where if you came in, you dipped your toe in to check out this Deep Space Nine two-parter because everyone says it's great or whatever. I don't think it would do that much for you. Um 
because it is it is all based on stuff that you would have seen previously. Uh, which you know you could argue the pluses and minuses of that, but as far as uh, people who are watching the show, I would say it's a plus. So what um, what's your general sense of this one? I I'm I like this one. This one get these two episodes get a lot of praise. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they're best of both worlds level like two parter yeah. episodes, but I think that they're they're interesting because as you say, like they it's more of a DS nine style two parter than it is a TNG two parter. And I don't know if DS nine is really a show that's built for the wham bam thank you ma'am two parter episode. Like it's not the yeah. way that it's set up. So here, I, and I think that this is another thing where, like, maybe fans of the show look back on this one more retroactively as an important episode or a great episode because of what it signifies going forward. Where this is, mm-hmm. this is a huge turning point for the show. Like everything from here, the pieces are in their final position on the board, sort of. Like every everything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, there's not a another level shakeup of the Cardassians joining the Dominion or anything like that. Like they've they've killed off the characters that they don't want to deal with. They've moved the positions into the places that they want to be. They've given the Dominion a foothold in the Alpha Quadrant. And then... It's really like that... I don't, do you watch Game of Thrones? hmm That episode uh, towards the end of not this past season, but the season right before that, where uh, Cersei gathers like all of the characters that they don't have use for on the show anymore into one place and yes. just blows it up, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. It's a very clean way of doing it. It was shocking when it happened yeah. just because of it's like, oh, all these characters are gone. And that's kind of surprising. But it's always yeah. um, I'm always like a few episodes behind realizing when characters purpose is over. So it's like it's mm-hmm. it's better to kill them off before people can realize that these characters don't have any purpose and then uh, deal with the shock factor after, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall I, I liked it. Um, I liked the first half more. This, uh, you know, I think I agree with what you're saying about the three parter thing. Cause they're doing a lot of stuff in these two episodes. There's a lot of stuff happening. And I think I that feel it's feeling- mostly, I feel it's mostly the second. The first one feels like a lot of okay setup to me. And it feels yeah, like they're yeah. racing against the clock to wrap everything up by the end of the second episode. Yeah, I would say that's, I think the feeling of that comes from the larger scale aspects not really getting a lot of face time, um, because I I couldn't believe how casually they dealt with the changeling on the ship. Uh, they, they don't even address it, really. I mean, um, what's uh, Cisco says, uh, eh, start doing blood tests and phaser sweeps and everything, but it was very, not very... Um, there was not a lot of hustle behind that order, you know, <laughs> right, um, yeah. where I, I feel and I think the problem is you had a changeling infiltrate Deep Space Nine and fuck everything up, which is a big deal. It should be a big deal. Yep. You've got the Dominion coming, uh, attacking through the wormhole and Cardassia teaming up. And then a, 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 the implication that they are on their way back to Deep Space Nine to destroy it, which is a huge deal. And you've got... Um, Garrick, Worf, and Bashir trapped on this prison planet or prison asteroid, which is a big deal because that's your big like character stuff. Um, and they spend a lot of time on the asteroid, which makes sense. Uh, they don't spend a ton of time 
on the uh, Dominion stuff, they, they they give you some uh, some good, the stuff they give you is good, but it is a huge thing that does not really feel as big a scale as it should. Are you talking about and like they, the actual invasion, like seeing the ships and everything like that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and they give barely any face time to the Changeling thing, which I I feel like yeah, if they had more time, I think the whole like second episode should have been them just like sweeping the the Deep Space Nine to find the Changeling while these other things are going on or whatever, and, and, and then have it pay off in the third. I don't know. But it seemed like there there's a lot of big-ticket items going on at the same time. The show, that, uh, the show kind of feels self-aware of the Changeling thing, because I, I, the one, the, there's a couple of interesting things about the Bashir as a Changeling that I think are um, funny. The, like, the first thing is that the Bashir Changeling suggests doing blood tests for it, but they, they yep. never show how he gets around uh passing the blood test like yeah because they never show them happening right they never show it happening so th- there's they don't even imply that it happens the, the the funny thing that they the 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 joke that they make out of it is kind of funny when bashir is like my god what is the changeling impersonating me up to and you have that dramatic close-up of bashir the changeling going down the turbo left and he sort of smirks as he walks off of it and then you see mm-hmm. O'Brien and Dax working below, and his legs come into frame, and you're like, "Oh no, he's going to shoot them or something." And he's he's bringing them sandwiches. As it's yeah. it's a it's very much a joke that the show is doing about it. But I agree that in a three parter episode, the middle part probably would have dealt more with the sabotage of the station that the Changeling was up to. Like, yeah, I feel that what that Changeling was doing would probably have even gone beyond. Uh, breaking the the ray that they shoot the wormhole with because he's spending his time um, apparently like super arming one of the runabouts so that they, when they shoot it, yeah. it can't do any damage to it. Like he's done a lot of stuff and we don't really get much of it except for very quick exposition at the end when they shoot it and they're like, why is the thing can't do it? Can't we shoot it and blow it up? We have to do something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if the issue is that it, there was too much stuff for two episodes but not enough stuff for three. Yeah, because um, I feel like if you focus on that stuff in the second episode, then you need you still need like kind of a B plot um, and you're either going to exhaust your prison planet stuff or you're going to exhaust a lot of your uh, uh, Dominion stuff. So I think I think it would be tough. I think it's it's an overpacked second second episode, but it might have felt like a thin three parter. Um, but you never know. Yeah, I, I think that the. um I wonder about the balance because I wonder if they actually spend too much time on the prison planet stuff because the mm. the the prison planet I like everything that they're doing there however I think a lot of it kind of puts you into this place of it's very similar to the Tane thing where it's like it's kind of a nice character beat but it's not really important for the overarching narrative that's going on yeah like Worf Worf basically uh, having his own personal sort of royal rumble against all the Jem'Hadar <laughs> is... I believe we would call that a gauntlet match. A gauntlet match is... is It makes sense for the character, and it tells you something about Worf, and it tells you something about Garrick. However, it's not anything really new, and it doesn't push forward the narrative of what's going on on the DS9 front in terms of the war and the yeah. invasion and everything. So while I like all the Prison Planet stuff, I feel they could have taken away... 20% of that time and spent it elsewhere, even if I do really like the war fighting scenes and things like that. Yeah, I like them in theory, but fuck, man. Michael Dorn is not convincing as a badass at all. 
You, you like, didn't like him on the ground at the end. I thought he said, "I thought he says I will not yield at the end as he's crawling." No, that, that was thing. fine. Yeah. But like the fighting is, he's so bad at fighting, and that one where he breaks the dude's neck and then he's like, <laughs> not convincing. Also, how did he fight like fifteen of those dudes and not once grab that fucking tube out of their neck? Right, pull the bang. Like I thought that you know, as far as. You know, if you if you want to say, I think you could say that the wharf stuff is is good, but like you're saying, it doesn't really matter ultimately to the plot. Um, if they had added in that part where it's like, oh, wharf figured out if you pull this tube out of their neck, they fucking start spraying white stuff and die or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, at least he would have learned something about oh, how to beat them. It's like the, the the problem with the Batman villain Bane. Yeah. In the comics, he's got this tube of of venom that gives him his you know hyper superpower or whatever going from his hand into the back of his head and as soon as batman figured out pull the fucking tube out of his head he was done yeah and so it's like it's not even like taped down it's just like <laughs> loose hang. sticking out where you you could like you don't even have to aim and you could grab it basically and uh i kept thinking like man just grab the tube man um i thought he was going to do that against the la i think what they did was ultimately more satisfying but i thought with that last guy that he fought he was just going to grab the tube out of his neck and just murder him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if, if, if ultimately they had learned in something from that experience, like plot wise, it might've made that stuff feel more, uh, essential. Yeah. Um, or if, I if mean, the, it, it ties uh, into the, it, it, I, I will say that it, I mean, it's essential for the Garrick and Worf story because what they yeah. go through both impresses the other. Uh, so that it's like even even though Garrick didn't see any of that, right? He, he just has to he has to go on Bashir, sort of uh, feeding him play by play as to what's yeah. going on out there. The, so I think that the problem is is that that story itself doesn't feel like it's got enough juice for two episodes to cross through. Yeah. It feels like if that was a self contained single episode, that's a good amount of time to spend on it. So. The problem is when you stretch it over two, it sort of drags it out to a little bit where you realize that it doesn't isn't really amounting to much. Um, that it, it, the Prison Break story is not really amounting to much, and especially because they really kind of end it in a pretty shitty way, where the runabout is just mm. above the the station for yeah, some reason, and they dumb. can beam into it. Yeah, that that well, uh, first of all, the pro. <laughs> I think we just kind of pulled out the problem with that Garrick and Wharf thing because Garrick doesn't see any of it. And Worf would have been like, yeah, so he has to, what do you mean he's afraid of being in a hole? Right. Well, did you buy the Klingon, did you buy the Klingon saying fear, a man's fear is like his greatest conquest? Or they say something along those lines. It didn't feel very Klingon-y to me, actually. Uh, yeah. No, nah, yeah. That doesn't really feel, yeah. Klingon should be like, fear is not a thing. We don't, It's not a word we know. Right. Right. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, like we have, we have 15 different words for honor, but. We needed someone to explain us to us the concept of fear the first time we heard or some yeah. shit. Like that. I, 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 I didn't. I don't buy that as a Klingon point of view of being like yeah. so, uh, or scared we of heights have, or something. Yeah, the Klingons have fourteen different words for honor, but we ref, we consider the word fear as an obscenity or right. something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the other, yeah, that I, I think the the runabout thing at the end is one of those instances where um, you've set you set your characters in a in a position that in order f getting from point a to point c definitely is going to involve a point b 
but we don't have time to show point B or showing point B is going to be too difficult. So it's just, uh, we just take them from A to C. Like, I don't know why they were able to instantly transport themselves onto the runabout, which was already, I mean, even if it wasn't already just chilling out above the, the space station there, uh, you would think that getting off the space station would have been in and of itself its own adventure. Yeah. Um, but they choose not to do that for whatever reason. Right. It's kind of the the it's kind of like the Dominion just left the door open in their prison, basically. Yeah. And they're like, Yeah, there's the getaway car is right up there. They're they're probably not gonna be able to get out of here though. So we'll just we won't move the car or anything like that. It's just yes. gonna hang out there. Um, <laughs> Leave the keys in it. Right. Keep it running. They're gonna be on their way out. It's one of those yeah, it's just one of those sort of, they needed a way for them to get back. Uh, this is the best way. You can't exactly send someone into the, although I guess the Defiant has to stay around the station is the problem. Like they wouldn't consider the mm. Defiant, sending the Defiant off to rescue those guys be a worthwhile piece I of its time. I was actually happy that they didn't send the Defiant off to rescue them because every time they do this, it seems like half the story is the people who are captured and the other half of the story are watching people play cards on the Defiant as they go to rescue them. Yeah, yeah. So I was happy that they had those things happening independent of each other. Um, people have better stuff so, to do in this story yeah, than go rescue them. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I and I, I do love I do love a, a, a broken communication warning, though. I love that shit. Like, uh, <laughs> imminent. <laughs> yeah, imminent. Yeah, there, there's a... When they rebooted, they, they did... Um, this secondary universe of Marvel comics in the 2000s called the ultimate universe is actually where, you know, miles Morales comes from. And it's actually where black Nick Fury comes from too, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, they did a run where they were covering, uh, they were introducing Galactus into the, you're familiar with Galactus, the giant space guy, um, into the, into the ultimate universe. And the way that they got in was they were, uh, they found this communication that they had to, to track down. I think the fantastic four were tracking it down and it was like, un they couldn't figure out what it was. It was, you know, buzzing or whatever. And they track it down to the, uh, the vision is being held hostage in some like, uh, area 51 type place. And he's just sending out this transmission. Cause he's been like torn in half. Yep. And it's just three things that he's sending out as Galactus, and not it's spelt slightly differently, but it's obviously what he's supposed to be saying. Yeah, right. And it was just the, it was just the best way to do that because it's like this little bit that you recognize, but is so um, uh, foreboding mm-hmm. that it just it just hangs over everything. I love that stuff. It's when when you do that stuff well, it's it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, same with the 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 Kira finding the serial killer a couple episodes ago with one that's one or that's two or whatever the guy's yes exactly or another great one is uh uh you ever see john carpenter's prince of darkness no i don't think so no it's it's a weird one it's a weird john carpenter movie from like the early 80s um but the whole thing is based around this uh uh one character who's having these weird dreams that she's getting transmitted from the future yep and every time she has a dream, she gets a little bit more of the transmission, but it's really fucked up and weird. And you find out what it is at the end, and it's very satisfying and creepy. But uh, yeah, I love that stuff. The um, I think that the I, I think that the way this sort of wraps up is a little bit kind of cheesy. I I think that the, oh, yeah, the, big the time. I think the changeling plan makes a lot of sense. Like this fits with how they seem to um 
act and it seems like a kind of plot that they would have where they would expose their enemy to a great risk while not really exposing themselves to any risk it seems like a very changeling thing to do but Mm -hmm. it's pretty unsatisfying um i always find bashir acting as changeling bashir kind of odd in those sequences when he is uh in the shuttle or the runabout or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. it's just it's just one of those things that's like for such a big issue like in the the it's kind of like a blue balls story like it's like this big invasion thing and there's a fight coming and we've assembled all these races and we're going to fight off uh the dominion and then it's like oh no they just they were going to trick us they were going to blow up the sun which makes sense on face it's just it's kind of a letdown it's a little bit of a like a blue ball story just like waiting for something to happen and it never happens and you you feel you feel a little bit let down i guess would be the way that this ends yeah, I mean the the special effects of the ending don't do them any favors either. Where it's just like where he catches the, the the shuttle and like pulls it out of the sun. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it, it was like watching. Uh, um, is it Space Invaders? The the game where the aliens are coming down. Yeah, what's the one where you shoot the rockets up from the, the bottom and you blow up the the like the nukes that are coming down at the city? Oh, anyway, it, yeah, I know, it was I know like what you're that. About. Yeah, right. It was like the the eight bit version of of a of a spaceship exploding after you blow it up with your laser or something. It was really unsatisfying, <laughs> and they do that weird like zoom in on his face. Yes, with the lights, where, where like the light. Is- yeah, <laughs> yeah, where they catch him in the tractor beam and they do this weird push in, like slow push in as he like looks up, and then they just sort of like yeah, yeah. Flips, um, flips off and blows up. Yeah, it was kind of kind of silly. That's I think that's part of where where they could have benefited from more time to to do something more satisfying w- than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it's a um. I I do like it. It is it is interesting that it just has these sort of weird moments in it. Like it has in in a scene that's also jam packed with stuff to do. I find the quirk uh, in Zial scene interesting that they chose to mm-hmm. include it the one where she's like where quirk is concerned that the jemhadar and the founders don't eat drink yep. or have sex and she's like maybe the vorta do and he's like well maybe that is it, it's a it's a fine scene in an episode that is short a minute where you can stick it in but it doesn't feel like it's right. appropriate here and it doesn't feel like it really adds all that much if it's supposed to be portraying um this tension of the station i don't think it really gets that across yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think you could that time would have been better served with something more uh, plot related. Although, you know, I guess you could argue it, it, those scenes sometimes are nice if you've got so much shit happening just to kind of take a step back and have a little bit of a breather. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. Yeah, I think I would have I think it would have benefited from because so much of the 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 prison planet stuff feels like a breather because uh, it's not super plot heavy and they're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, those kind of, you know, handle that function to an extent. So you probably could have dropped that scene at Quark's and, yeah, done something uh, a little bit more plot-centric. Although, I don't know, maybe Quark needed to justify the, his payment for that episode. I don't yeah. Know. it's a, I mean, it's a, the other interesting is the thing is how few characters are kind of in this one. Uh, Odo's yeah. not in it. Quark is barely in it. Jake Sisko. Fuck machine is not in it whatsoever. Um, well, we know what he's off doing. <laughs> he's it's just, well, the man's only a got book. a few days to live. What are you going to do? <laughs> I think that. Um, yeah, I, I telling cake telling Miss Keiko his teacher his true feelings. <laughs> oh, the other big thing we learned the uh, the baby's name, which is Kiriyoshi, uh, which is a nice mm. nice touch. Oh yeah, is that like? 
Is that a real Japanese name, or is that like let's take Kira and make it sound Japanese? No, they, I think they stuck Kira on because there's a Hiro Yoshi, but I think Kira they just stuck Kira's name onto Yoshi at the end, and that's the baby's so name. So it's the the Star Trek equivalent of of getting like a, a Japanese character tattoo that's just the literal letter spelling out of a word that actually doesn't mean anything. Right. That's exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. Have you what ever it seen is. that website? Where people send in pictures of their tattoos and ask a translator, uh, Japanese or Chinese. Yeah, it's really funny because all all of the tattoos are complete bullshit. <laughs> but it's all it's only what it means to you. That's the whole thing. It's only what it means to you. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about with this one? It's kind of a funny episode in that I feel it's very important, I, but I feel like going forward it'll actually be more important than it is in context of what happens in it because I feel a lot of the stuff is along the Garrick Tain storyline there's there's like really great moments in this but i don't know if anything bears further examination i have a a, a sort of um larger i don't know if larger sorry I have, I have an element that i wanted to talk about but i don't know if maybe you should save it for whoever you have taking my place on discovery this all right week. sure <laughs> um which is the difference between discovery and deep space nine in how they handle techno babble because I think this episode has some good examples of why it works here and why it doesn't work on Discovery. Because the problem on Discovery is that on Discovery, the techno babble is the solution. Whereas on Deep Space Nine, the techno babble is just an explanation of the solution that they've chosen. Mm -hmm. So you've got a scene like uh, in on Discovery, I guess the last or one, one of the last episodes when Tilly gets sucked into that pod or something. You've got like five minutes of what's his face, uh, Stamets and uh, Jetpack. What's his name? Jet, Jet Reno. Reno. Jet Reno. Um, just throwing techno babble back and forth at each other that you're supposed to try and care about, and then all of a sudden they do something that you didn't know they were going to do because you didn't understand what the fuck they were saying, and it's just it doesn't it feels very hollow and and like unsatisfying. Yeah. Whereas whereas here you've got the scene where they have that sort of ready room scene. And they are talking about closing the wormhole and the sociological and cultural impacts of doing that. Right. Why the Bajorans would be against doing that. The, the, yeah. the risk and reward of shutting the wormhole is what they're talking about. And they're letting you sit with the consequences, the, the uh, um, theoretical consequences of the actions they're about to take. And then after they set that stuff up. O'Brien goes, well, if I just, you know, put the oscillator into reverse and reconnect the whoosie what's it's, we should be able to do it. And it's like, all right, we'll get on it. So that's, that's the difference in understanding of how to handle that stuff. I think where discovery makes the techno babble the whole, for some reason they think that's interesting and that's the stuff that people want to hear or whatever. Whereas discover uh, deep space nine gives you something you can understand that's palpable to the characters and has, has weight as a decision or an action and then just beefs it up or explains it by the techno babble. Yes. Um, the solution is and, made up, but the consequences of it exist and are understandable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So discovery's problem is that the solution is totally made up and the conflict between the characters is them debating a made up thing. And yes, you don't understand why it's taking five minutes for them to get their point across where, as you're saying, the ready room scene here is good in that sense. The, you know, the 
Garrick's whole thing is like he's fiddling with something in the wall. You know, they, they make up something about that. But the, the problem is he's doing this in order to buy them time to get them out of there. Worf has to buy time so that Garrick has time to do things. Garrick has to deal with his fear of being in a space that he has to do things. And so the yeah, storyline. what the fuck Garrick is doing. Right. He's, he's making a transporter. Apparently. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's along I, that I don't line. know how yeah. he's doing it or yeah. what. Like they mention it. Sure. But like that's not the important part. Right. It's, you, I don't know what he's doing, but I can feel the stress. You almost forget what he's doing until they beam out at the end and you go, oh, right, he was building a transporter in that wall. No, honestly, I did not even know that. I didn't know what – I thought he was building some sort of communicator. Oh, gotcha. I didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but that's exactly – that's a great example of it where it's like I don't know the specifics of what he's doing, but I know how it weighs on the characters and the action of the story. Whereas in Discovery, you've got two people throwing uh, uh, techno babble back and forth at each other and then one of them runs to the bridge and goes, blah, 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 blah. And Pike goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, they, then they're like, well, if I hit this button, we'll download all the information from this asteroid that's flying <laughs> through space because it's a living thing. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Cool, yeah. I guess. No, that's the – and I think that that is um, – that's just really the main takeaway of the episode for me is how it is purely just a – it's an exercise in character – work with each other here where purgatory shadow is pretty much all about that and inferno's light is kind of the payoff and the ds9 payoff is interesting because the payoff has to rely more on action sequences and it's by far not what the show does better of the two Mm. things so that's why to me inferno's light feels a little bit of a letdown where they they have to resolve the bigger story with action sequences and they don't really live up to the character work that had been preceding it yeah yeah, and I think that's why it's on it's it's a bummer that they dropped the ball with the changeling thing because they do that kind of stuff really well. So I think you could have forfeited some of your action in favor of this stress that's that everyone's being put under trying to figure out where this changeling is while all of this other stuff is happening and then you have sort of like a ticking bomb scenario that that it, it's more than just the Dominion is coming, it's shit. There's a changeling on board. We have to find the change. You know, it, right. it, it it lets your action stay more focused in your character interactions and and keep your tension more more relatable uh, than having to worry about how many CGI ships we can fit on the screen. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, even that stuff though. There's not a ton of it, but it's just yeah, it's just a little bit weak. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But overall, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We're going to come back and we're going to give some patron thoughts and then we'll give our final thoughts about In Purgatory Shadow and By Inferno's Light. Well, Captain, I must congratulate you. If that proto-matter device had gone off inside the sun, well, the death toll would have been enormous. And your daughter would have been one of the casualties. Zial made her choice. As far as I'm concerned, she is no longer my daughter. You know, Ducat, I thought you'd changed in the last five years. I see I was wrong. One man's villain is another man's hero, Captain. You should see the monument they're erecting in my honor at the gateway to the Imperial Plaza. Is that why you sold out your people to the Dominion? For a monument? What I did... I did to make Cardassia strong again. And mark my words, Captain, I succeeded. You may have escaped defeat this day. But tomorrow, 
We will see about tomorrow. Yes, we will. All right. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you guys leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them on the podcast. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, no matter what the writers say, I'll never let go of the theory that because prisoner Bashir is in his old uniform, changeling Bashir has been in place since at least the ascent, in which time he delivered Kira's baby, failed to save Odo's, and took away Sisko's visions. I really like- Wait, so did, did the writers say that that was not the case? Uh, there have been different stories, depending, I think, on who you ask about when they yeah. think it came in. So they don't have a definitive answer as to when it happened. Interesting. Uh, I really like Eric's line about how Zial. I, I, <laughs> the funny thing, I, I, the first time we saw Zial, I guess I was not pronouncing her name correctly. I've never had so much feedback come back. It must have been like a <laughs> a trigger word for fans of the series or something. So many people wrote to explain that I was saying it wrong. I think it's Zial. If I'm saying it wrong. Uh, may God help us all, as Cisco says in this episode. Uh, I really like Garrick's line about how Zeal has had quite enough disappointment for one lifetime. Him putting their relationship in context of mutual good wishes works a lot better than as a grand romance. Stephen Cobb says, Definitely appreciate the full Anabrantane arc and the depth of the character it gives Garrick. The bond between Worf and Martok is set for future episodes to build on. I also enjoyed the relationship of the Vorta to the Jem'Hadar and how one is more honorable, so to speak. It echoes past episodes and adds to continuity of species and characters. What'd you think of, you said you liked the uh, resolution of the Jem'Hadar fighting Worf. Um, do you want to talk about that for a second? Or I liked it. Um, I like it more when I think about it than I do as a sort of like thing that I'm watching in the real time. I, I liked it except for the fact that they killed that Jem'Hadar guy because I, 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 I liked the idea of having the Jem'Hadar be like, I can't, I can't beat this guy, and to kill him would not be. He, he in that moment is is like ex- exhibiting some weird honor. Yeah, but um, ultimately it doesn't matter because they just kill that dude anyway. Uh, so it's not like the Jem'Hadar have have learned anything about the Klingons or that one Jem'Hadar leader is now has some respect for taking on the Klingon people or something like that. It was it it, it was a it was a cool character moment for for Worf, but ultimately I didn't feel like it it really held that much weight to it. I liked it just because I think that it's a um it's a neat spin on the Jem'Hadar's victory's life mentality where yeah. if he cannot defeat someone, he has lost and he must die at that point. Like his the reason he has to die is because if he cannot defeat him, if all he can do is kill Worf and not actually gain victory mm. over him, then his life is meaningless and he needs to die at that point. Yeah. That's my yeah. takeaway. Um, Andrew Cherlog says, DS9 continues its run of amazing two-parter episodes with Gold Ducat's long-awaited heel turn and Garrick finally making amends with Tane. Strongest part of the set is Worf's refusal to yield. Too often Worf has looked weak in TNG. Here we finally see the Klingon we've been told about for years. The reveal of Bashir being a changeling is perfect and shows the lengths to which the Dominion has gone to infiltrate the Alpha Quadrant. Solid sets and a great official beginning to the Dominion Cold War. I'm sorry. He just, he looks like a dad doing karate. <laughs> it's those new like undershirts. karate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the, um, my favorite Worf stuff in this actually might be Worf and Dax, where he, I, I do, you know, as much as shit as we've given the, the O'Briens as them not being written as a real relationship, I do feel that Worf and Dax kind of counter that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They, um... The arguments they have feel very real to me about yes, where he's yeah. upset that she's going to lose his offer. <laughs> and his um 
his honesty with her, I find very funny where she's like, you think I'm going to lose these? He's like, you always lose everything. <laughs> um, it, it, it feels very, I just like it. I, I like all of the conflict that those two have. And I think that yeah. the, the way that they wrote it here is pretty clever. Yeah, that, that first scene with them I thought was great because there was a moment, I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was the opera thing where they position the characters as though <clears throat> that one of them is going to make some like larger romantic point or something and then it's just a very surface level kind of thing like that where yeah i think it was the opera's thing because it was like wharf is going off and dax is like well if you don't think you're going to be coming back pause yeah i'm going to take your operas you know it was i thought it was good i like that <laughs> and then they they play it nicely into that's her motivation for him to come back is though is so that he can't like he he can't go off on a suicide mission he needs to come back because his operas are going to be misplaced if they're not yeah yeah uh matthew cutler or did i want i i, I do agree that it's a as much as dorn is not a great stunt fighter i do think that it does sell I I actually probably would have pushed Worf into taking more of a beating than he's actually getting through this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they have the scene where Bashir's trying to patch him up and he's like, you broke all your ribs and everything's bad. I I don't know. They Did you like the fact that he basically goes like 11-0 in his matches or <laughs> did like do you, do you think well, that is a problem? I'm of I'm of two minds about it because I do like Worf actually doing something cool like that cuz yeah, he, he gets talked about all the time, but you don't ever really see him get to kick anybody's ass except in like the holodeck. Yeah. So it was nice to see him actually kicking ass. Um, but you have run into the problem, which we've talked about previously, where you've got the Jem Hadar, who are this unbeatable master warrior race. Yeah. And since now there is more than one of them, they're easier to kill. Well, he also, uh, he, I thought that they set it up well because he, the first one he fights, he beats him, but Worf is breathing heavy after it, you know, and they go, that yeah, was actually yeah. the shittiest Jem'Hadar, so you've got a lot yeah. more in store for you. But they, he continues to handle them okay, except for the last guy who, you know, and if you're the last Jem'Hadar, do you really take a lot of pride in getting basically the, the guy that's been fighting 10 other guys before right, you and right. you, you get any pride out of that? Yeah, that was sort I mean, that was sort of implied with that final fight. Honestly, I wish he had pulled the fucking tube out because at least that way you're like, now I know where their weakness is. As long as I can get that tube, I can fuck these guys up. So you could have had like a little bit of both where it's like he is a badass and he is beating the shit out of these guys or winning at least, but he needs a leg up in order to do so. Gotcha. Matthew Cut tube, man. Matthew Cutler says someone better pull that tube out eventually. A really good two parter loved Ducat's heel turn. Never saw him as a good guy. The only thing is, why would the Dominion leave a runabout above a prison? Also, sorry, not to cut in. Final thought on that. I wish he had, uh, as he was fighting, his hair got more f messed up because it would have been nice for him to sort of like, quote unquote, become more Klingon as sure. he was fighting. Look more like Martok. So like his hair gets wild. Yeah, I thought that would have been cool. I liked the when <laughs> when um, when Worf shows up and he sees Martok fighting the Jem'Hadar first, he goes, it's General Martok, and it's clearly a stunt guy, but they never show us a face of Martok. Yes. Like, it's mm -hmm. a very long fight scene before we are given a, a shot of uh, the actor who actually plays him laying on his back uh, where the shot well, has come in. Klingons always recognize their generals from the back because they are always the first to lead into battle. So you're only seeing them from the back. <laughs> I did like the... Um, the Martok thing is interesting to me because Martok 
uh, and the actor who plays him, I think his name is like J.G. Hertzler or something. Uh, mm-hmm. He plays Martok much differently than the Martok we've seen. We've only seen Changeling Martok to this point in all of his appearances that we've had. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I don't remember that character at all. Oh, so. you, you don't. You don't. He's the um, he's the one that in the Apocalypse Rising, which is the one where they. Uh, the Klingon war basically starts and war- Cisco dresses up like a Klingon and goes to Kronos. Yep. Uh, yep. The- he's the one that Odo fights at the end and they- the Klingons all shoot him. Oh, I see. That's Martok, okay. yeah. Um, but he's he played him, Martok's been in a couple episodes and he played him much more aggressive and much more Klingon-y and here he's kind of, he's almost thoughtful here. He- he's not really the sort of uh, brunt and like blunt Klingon that we've accustomed to. Mm. Uh, Will Yates says there's not much to say other than bravo this is a great way to start a story arc that will be with us until the end of the series I can't think of much aside from the runabout still being in orbit over the prison that I can nitpick about I wonder excuse me I wonder if another Vorta <laughs> sorry sorry I'm sorry I, I just have to point this out I just looked up the guy who plays Martok yes and he was in the TV movie Pirates of Silicon Valley which I believe was about um, uh, Bill Gates and uh apple guy steve jobs yeah and they're like rise to power and he plays ridley scott <laughs> the ridley scott apparently what is this movie about yeah it's interesting uh i wonder if another vorta made the same offer to ducat that wayun made in cisco in seasons four to the death i do think that knowing what we know about garrick and his childhood at the end of the episode we're pretty lucky he isn't going around stabbing random people like white power bill from arrested development <laughs> neil brennan says there was a point in the cell when I was overcome with joy at these actors of varying levels of talent in funny face makeup saying ridiculous things. Star Trek is great. Uh, DS9 became my favorite Star Trek show a while back. I'd be interested to hear where Clay ranks it now overall. Love the scene where you think O'Brien will catch out Changeling Bashir as they chat about darts, but he doesn't twig anything. Nice writing and subversion, uh, subversion of expectations. Also some great babyface booking for Worf in his gauntlet match. Mm. We'll, we can get your thoughts about DS9 after all the comments are done. Sure. Matthew Ross says, a terrifically dark and intrigued-filled pair of episodes that seamlessly integrate the two parts. Ducat's duplicitousness on full display, and it was when it aired pre-internet. A total surprise to see him join the Dominion for the glory of Cardassia. Up to that moment, his urgency was that of a father for his child, Zial, and his hatred of Garrick. The conversation with Kira gives you the ICY moment when he leaves with the Dominion fleet. The Garrick and Bashir moment seemed normal until later reveal, which added real-life speculation and guessing on how long the time period between episodes are with Bashir in the older uniform, why the internet likes debating, like who cared for Cisco in prior episodes. Garrick's affection for Zial and the love Zial has for him seems obvious, but the reveal that Tane is Garrick's father just adds another cruel layer to the characters, if not the people of Cardassia. And you can feel the stress of claustrophobia in Garrick's performance. The tension amps up to 11 on DS9. You can see the panic in the faces of the officers and the crew when they realize an invasion is imminent and their defenses are stretched thin, a position the Dominion thrives in best. Quark's concern and hope that the Vorta are hedonists was humorous. The best line was the changeling Bashir saying, here goes nothing. How true. Snark in the enemy in almost plain sight. There were a few small issues I did have with the two parts. One was Worf's headpiece, seemed to be popping off in the runabout on the way to the Gamma Quadrant. For the escape plan, why would the runabout be floating above, uh, around, hanging around for the crew fully powered? And why keep the prisoners alive anyway after you got their mold for infiltrators? Those issues aside, the simultaneous disruptor of... This must be an autocorrect that I can't make sense. The simultaneous disruptor, Faith Aft, was cool. The Vortz's cold-bloodedness and the honor of the Jem'Hadar was well played. Even Worf's, Worf's fake fighting was well done. 
The posturing between Ducat and Cisco reveals that the Dominion threat is now more urgent and close. In the final comment, Kyle Barrett, one of the best two-parters in all of Star Trek. It's fantastic, but I do feel like the second part is a little rushed. We've had the Klingon war plotline for a season and a half now, and they conclude it too quickly with one short scene. And the Romulan fleet showing up was a great moment, but there isn't enough time to assess the political ramifications of such an action. Other than that, it's pretty damn perfect. Also, these are I, uh, two of the very best episode titles of the entire franchise. Cisco and I had the exact same reaction when the Romulans showed up, because when the ships went, I went, Romulans? <laughs> and then like two seconds later, Cisco goes, Romulans. <laughs> it knocked your socks off. What a twist. Yeah. What a twist. For a series that hasn't had a lot of Romulans in it, actually. So it's interesting when they show yeah. up. Yeah. I was, uh, it, it's funny. I wonder if they did this on purpose. Um, I was less surprised when they showed up, I think, because they had subliminally prepared you for them by having two Romulans in the prison with those guys. Yes. Yeah. Probably. So I, I kept seeing them like, oh, yeah, Romulans. What are they up to? And then they show up. It's like, oh, yeah, Romulans. <laughs> Here they are. They're ready to go. Yeah. Um, thank you, patrons. Thank you very much for leaving your thoughts on patreon.com slash the Penske file. Uh, Clay, do you want to just give final... Um, this is Neil's first run-through of DS9. He'd never seen it before, and he said it's become his favorite Star Trek show for a while now. Be interested mm. to hear where Clay ranks it overall. Do you have any thoughts about DS9 at this point? Um, I think if you go by writing i think it's probably the best show i think their their understanding of their characters is great um you know we talk about that all the time you, you know you know what i think their strengths are um but as far as favorite i don't know man i think i if i was going to just grab an episode out of the air to watch i would probably still choose tng and that's i think that's probably entirely a personal uh nostalgia heavy reason um it's just tng for me is just such uh such a bright it, it invokes very bright imagery like when i when i say tng there's very specific things that i see um when i think about deep space 9 it feels a lot darker and it feels uh, more gray and I don't mean that like it just is the color palette, although it seems to be going that way. But um, I I don't really I haven't really seen an episode of Deep Space Nine where if I wanted to watch an episode of Star Trek to make me feel good about myself feeling down, mm. uh, I don't know if I would pick a Deep Space Nine episode um, because the ones that are that are the best tend to be really heavy and really uh, uh, like emotionally draining. Yeah. Whereas TNG has a lot of good, I, I, you know, I, I, my interests always veer towards the high concept stuff. Um, and I think where Deep Space Nine is telling a really great long term story that has a lot of great stuff in it, TNG still really scratches that high concept Star Trek itch in a way that Deep Space Nine really doesn't. Yep. I think that's what it comes down to. Yep. I agree. Like you're not going to, they're doing their own thing now. So, you're not going to get something like the Royale or something like, you know, cause the and episode effect. where, yeah, cause and effect, those kind of things. You're not, you're not going to get that from Deep Space Nine, which is fine. That doesn't make it any better or worse. It's just, I think you get different things from both both series. And ultimately, that's kind of what you want, I, I think. DS9, to me, DS9 is much more satisfying to watch it the way we're watching it for the podcast than TNG yes, is. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. DS9 might be the better show to podcast about. In some ways. Yeah, uh, probably. TNG, 
but as you're saying, like if you had to pick an episode of Star Trek, I think TNG is better at that, where the context of DS9 is kind of everything, as Lorca would say, context is for kings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that makes it probably a richer, deeper show, but it's also harder to just say, I'm going to watch this one episode of DS9 and call yeah. it a day. It's also, from a personal standpoint, it's also harder to reference uh, in conversation in a relevant way. Whereas, as I do with with a lot of other shows, TNG, it's easier to be like if you're talking about something, you can go, "Oh, there's a, there's this episode of TNG where they where they do this X, Y, and Z." Right. You can't do that with Deep Space Nine because you'd have to be like, "There's this episode of Deep Space Nine where they do this." But first, in order to understand that, you need to understand the connection right. between Kira and Chakar. <laughs> so let me, you know, that kind of thing. That's such a but, such a Ducat thing to say, except the mid-season yeah. Ducat, not the early Ducat, <laughs> yeah. not the late Ducat, exactly. but the mid-season yeah. sweet spot when he was kind of ambiguous. That's a very thing to say, yeah. Right. But that being said, if there's an episode where Dax falls in love with a, a supernatural candle, then we can come back and reevaluate. Yes, that changes everything. Uh, thank you very much, you guys, for leaving your thoughts. Clay, what are you going to give this one, these two episodes on a scale of one to five? Um... I would say five for the first half and like a four, low four for the second half. Yeah, yeah. If you were to give them averages out to, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an overall for them. I would agree with you that I think the first one's a five and the second one's probably a four. I think overall it's kind of a four for me. Uh, Yeah. Even though the the first part's really strong, but it's not like knock your socks off strong. It's really just kind of a, a very solid episode that they're building towards something, and they. I feel that it's funny. I remembered these episodes being really spectacular. And I think they kind of, they, I think they kind of are, but they're more spectacular in where the series goes from here. And mm. it, it's more important looking back in retrospect what these episodes did than it is as they stand by themselves. Like, I think that the, um, I feel like they've almost done the space battle thing a little bit better. Uh, than they do here, and I, oh, they definitely have. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, I think Way of the Warrior was a little bit better at that, but mm-hmm. th- this was good. I, I I do like them. I think they're extremely good. I think it's an extremely important episode, and I think that they really don't screw much up. It's really just kind of how rushed it is towards the end, and the action sequences aren't all that great. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. That was a long one, hour and fifteen. Although it makes sense, we're talking about two episodes. You can support the show by going to all the social media: Discord, Facebook, Twitter. You can financially support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file. There's a PayPal link down below. And there's also a t-shirt and mug website called Teespring down below. You can buy some shirts. And I think that's it. Mention the show on Reddit or things like that. Mention the show on the internet. Mention it to people who are looking for Star Trek content. We're out there. And that's it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we sign off? No, just uh, check out Badass, Batman the Animated Series podcast or me and Sean Murphy talk about Batman the Animated Series from yep. the point of view of two working comic book artists. That's right. And uh, Radio Radio Star Murders, where Wes and I talk talk audibly about a visual medium in another another format. <laughs> we had, We're talking about music videos. We had Prodigy come out recently this past week. We've got Queensryche, Tears for Fears, Blues Traveler, and uh, Cindy Lauper coming up for people mm. who are interested. And then after that, our show will seem a lot less scattershot because we're making it a little bit more themed based. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. dark themes. We're going to go DS9 dark on the, the music videos. But that's it. Uh, Only tool, tool, and nine inch nails videos from this point out. 
<laughs> guys hopefully you're enjoying the show leave your comments on patreon if you're a patron of the show uh, we'll read those coming up we've got dr bashir i presume up next and after that uh, we're almost close to the end of the second half of season five so pretty interesting time flies thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time Thank you.